In previous episodes of Tectonic, we have discussed the fact that many technology providers are struggling to find out their partner strategy related to as-a-service offers, and partners are frustrated by this. I've commented that the entire industry needs a big old therapy session on this topic. We recently dropped an episode with Jay McBain to kick off the therapy, and today we will continue that journey by inviting in a dynamic channel executive from one of the largest technology companies on the planet. This is going to be a good one. I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And I am going to be speaking with Alexandra Zaguri, a global vice president from Cisco. And we're going to get this insight engine humming. Welcome, Alex. It's so wonderful to have you here. And we're going to start off with the easy one here. Can you just provide an overview of your current responsibilities at Cisco so people have a baseline there? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks, Thomas, for having me. I love just the sound of tectonic. <laughs> Sounds like about to happen. Love it. Love it. So, and, and you think it's a simple question, but it's not that simple what I do at Cisco because it's a very unique role that we put together around three years ago. So I'm responsible for what we call partner managed and as a service, which is a handful. And in most podcasts, people refuse to say the role name. And what that is, it's really how do we support the partner ecosystem in how they're going to market with Cisco when they sell managed and as a service. And like you guys know that better than anybody, these two things are very connected. I'm so happy you're on because, again, this has been a big topic for a while, but definitely this year in terms of getting that handshake right. And, you know, we're going to click into a lot of critical topics around that today. We're going to talk about the handshake between the technology provider when it comes to managed services. We're going to talk about how AI is changing tech business models. But before we get into all that, you know, you know I always love look at guests to so kind of look at your background, check out your LinkedIn profile. And you know, I want to click into your backstory because you started your career in media related companies, right? I think I got this right. NBC, Yahoo, and then you jumped into tech. And so for people listening, like, how did you navigate that career change from media into tech? Yeah, it's even more more than that, because I started out in banking. So I was actually trained as a banker. And in all aspects of banking, from operations and technology to derivatives trading, to actually being a GM of a bank. How do you run a bank? And then I was put in this really interesting situation. This was back in Web 1.0. Now I'm dating myself. When the whole world blew up, right? But at the time, I was investigating how do we put payment systems at the end of ERP systems? And it was really, really, really interesting. And that's how I got into the tech world. And then I was like, when everything blew up during the the first dot-com bubble, I was like, how do I get into tech? And interestingly enough, media was where most of the intersection of technology and the old world was happening. And so that's how I fell into media and eventually Yahoo and learned everything that you can learn about advertising Mm -hmm. operations. And then the rest is history. So the jump from advertising operations at Yahoo into, because you've had a lot of role I think, in the sales and the partner side. So what was, I'm just curious, what was your first role in what you would consider, you know, a pure tech company? Was it on the sales side or like, how did you get your? I think it was in, I was in Yahoo. I think Yahoo 
actually was going, when I was there, was going through a crisis. Are we a media company or are we a tech company? They had started out as a tech company and then saw that their IP was really, there was a lot of media properties, if you recall. I was actually part of a really interesting deal that still survives today, which was Yahoo and Eurosport coming together. I think that was my first job in tech. And I'd say that was my first job looking at the channel. Because the interesting thing about the advertising industry is that, especially in Europe, it is a channel industry. The way that you book advertising, you book through agencies. So it, it was a disintermediated model where you'd have to have you know, a sales team that was supporting the agency model. And you had to have a, a sales team that was doing the commercial development uh, from an industry and segment perspective. So you had your specialists in travel and your specialists in retail and in manufacturing and so forth. And that was the first foray that I, although it, it doesn't seem like it, but I really started understanding direct and indirect sales models. I love to click into those backstories because one thing that we believe at TSA, and as you know, I mean, the pipeline for talent is always tough. And a lot of times you'll catch people younger in their career and they won't think about tech because they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not a programmer. I'm not a, a software engineer. And there, there's just so many opportunities in tech and so many broad opportunities that people can have all different kinds of backgrounds. So I always like to touch on those stories of like how people have navigated from different beginnings into the industry. In the case of yourself, you can be wildly successful in this industry. So it's, you know, it's a great story. So let's now get into what you're doing now. You've, you've been in tech for a while. Again, I think a lot of, you know, sales partner related roles. What do you see as some of the biggest changes in how Cisco is interacting with partners? Because you have this title, it sounds like it started about three years ago, specifically to wrestle this, right? Of how do you deal with partners and as a service managed offers? So, you know, what is different about that as opposed, you know, because Cisco's been around a long time, had a very strong partner ecosystem in play for on-prem for you know, years and years and years. What's different? I think what's different is the role that the partner plays in not only how we go to market, but also in the actual delivery of products or mm -hmm. consumption of products. That's very different. It's symptomatic of what's happening to the whole IT industry. I don't think it's exclusive to Cisco. Cisco is going to be nearly 40 years old, 30 years of it with a channel. In many respects, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so proud of, to work here is I think we sort of defined the IT resale channel when it first started from our program's point of view. We over like nearly 95% of what we sell goes through the channel. So there is no Cisco right. without the channel. And I think what we're trying to work through is the transformation is how do you move from a model that was built on point product, very much based on hardware, which has its own things of installation and delivery and so forth versus software to a world where it's about services and solutions. How do we go from business model that was built on CapEx to a business model that was built on OpEx? How do you go from a model where your sales teams are the center of the universe, your customer teams, to a model where your partner teams have to play a bigger role? And sometimes the role is reversed, where the old model, it was really the partner teams that were just orchestrating yeah and doing the handshakes between the partner yeah. and, and the customer because it was a lot about fulfillment. In the new model, it might be that actually the customer teams have to take the orchestration role between different partners delivering a yeah. services stack. And then last but not least, actually, it's the whole, you're not selling 
products and components, you're selling a platform and an experience. So when you go through this, and I think this is why this is so hard, this is a full-on transformation, not only of your commercial model, because if it was just that, it would be pretty easy. Well, not easy, but it would be much easier. It goes through every single thing that you do has to change or is being disrupted in some way, shape, or form. One of the most interesting things from a product perspective that I spend a lot of time on is what I call the conflation between the technology and the operation of that technology. Because what the cloud and the platform pivot has given to us in this whole focus on experience is that you no longer can isolate how products are being uh, operated, consumed from the product itself. And so when you talk about this, people are like, well, but now you're boiling the ocean. It's too much. You can't do everything. But the cloud did that. The cloud has one portal where you go and you buy the product and where you then operate and move the workloads. And so it's touching every piece of our technology architecture, which in turn touches our IT architecture. So you've been chipping on this for three years and just to play back, right? Because we are in violent agreement that this transformation is soup to nuts. So as you move from selling on-prem to as a service, it changes the commercial model with the customer. It changes the compensation models with the partner. It changes the role you need from the partner. It changes the value proposition. I mean, it's all on the table, right? And as you have been chipping on that, if you had to rank or just say, look, top of mind, here's what I'm seeing as some of the hardest things about that. Is it the comp model? Is it having partners have different skills to enable as a service? I mean, if you had to pick a batting order and you say, look, going at this for three years, here's what I'm seeing is some of the most important or biggest challenges we have to work on. I'm just curious what your experience is to date. I mean, all the problem statements you were sort of working through there, we all know what the answers are. Some of it, you're sort of constrained by IT capacity or investment or things like that. But there's a lot of smart people at Cisco. So we have the answers on how to solve these big problems. The two main challenges is, and this might be a little bit controversial, is how do you do it as a public company? And you guys at the TSIA have been talking about going through (laughs) the fish for a long time, (laughs) right? So I think that's, I'd say that apart from IT investments, capacity, uh, all of that, the first one is taking that step that you actually have to go through the fish because it's inevitable at some point in time. You go from paying your sales teams for total contract value or annual contract value to monthly recurring revenue, that does something to your revenue that it's not palatable sometimes to our investors and shareholders. The second one is cultural. There's lots and lots of books written about change and transformation and things like that. But the, the hardest thing is we all know like the tools to do it is actual the cultural change of doing things differently. And, you know, throughout the last three years, what's been fascinating is we've done some really pretty cool things. For example, we pay our sales teams double if they sell with a partner, if they sell a managed service with a partner versus if they do Mm -hmm. traditional resale. And yet there's still these urban myths in the sales teams. Well, Maybe I'll get paid this time, but I won't get paid that time. Oh, the revenue is going to go away from the system next year and I'm going to get a debooking. And it's just fascinating some of the things that 
people resistant to change and fearful of new things, what happens in an organization. And doesn't matter how much enablement you throw at it, the people part of it is always the, the most challenging. I'll just play back sort of some pattern recognition that we see when you, you know when you look at, at a company in the profile of Cisco, which is historically super successful selling on-premise equipment, and you have a sales force that's wired that way, you know, companies wired that way. The two things you talked about, I can't emphasize enough. The first one, when you start to move revenue to as a service and specifically hardware company starts to offer as a managed service, it all sounds good when it's a strategy PowerPoint, but the first big deal that hits the table and you have some regional salesperson, a vice president, and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, let me get this straight. Instead of selling all these boxes right now, you're telling me, Alex, that I'm going to have to defer that revenue over three or five years. And whoa, 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 that's not helping my quarter, right? It is the classic, yeah. you, know, you know, every strategy is a great strategy until it hits the battlefield. And that is the moment of truth for hardware companies right there. And you can't underemphasize that enough. That is going to be a real shock to the system. And that is a battle that typically has had sort of one sales leader at a time because you got to convince them that, hey, that's where the revenue is going. That's where the value proposition is going. That's where the market's going. So I think that you got to really shine a bright light on that because that's real. And yeah. I know you see it. And then the second one about the cultural piece of it, you mentioned compensation is a big lever to put on the table there. But I think the other lesson in pattern recognition that we see is sometimes people think comp just solves all problems. Just change the comp plan. Just like you said, we can double down on the as a service. That makes all of our problems go away. It helps for sure. It sends a strong strategic message, right, to the salespeople. But it's not a magic pixie dust that just makes all the problems go away for what you put on the table, right? Because some people are still going to be, I don't know, what about next year? What about the year after? So those are two really important observations that are real <laughs> and take time to work through for sure. It really is one of those things that takes time, takes a lot of enablement, a lot of education. We focus on not only are we very lucky to have sponsorship top down, but we focus on sort of this concept of a mission, a movement bottoms up. Right. And we go and find our ambassadors. We document all the great wins. Yeah. We celebrate them. So those are some of the tools that we have in our toolbox to drive that cultural transformation. And we're starting to see we just I, mean, I can't talk about it, but we just closed the quarter and there were some really big deals that started coming through. And it's been great to see the account managers on those accounts celebrate how they won it, because at the end of the day, Cisco itself, I mean, we're only a small part of the transformation. We're already on this journey to 50% recurring revenue, which is an unbelievable how our executive team has navigated that. But there's the whole end-to-end -end sales transformation around really our teams looking at how they sell is all about customer value versus customer fulfillment, right? So we're a part of that. You, you talked about celebrating the wins and shining a bright light. I think the other key tactic here when you're on this type of transformation is the leadership team cannot blink. And what I mean by that is once you make this commitment, and in your case, hey, we're committed to managed offers through the channel. It's an important strategy for Cisco that you realize it's going to be a multi-quarter, multi-year journey that you just don't blink and you stay committed to those types of deals. Because a lot of times what will happen is 
companies will say that we think it's a great idea. They get two quarters, three quarters into it, and then they blink, right? And they go, oh, you know, well, maybe we really are going to take those deals the old way. And maybe we're really not going to, you know, next year change the comp. And maybe, and, and to me, then you get this stutter, right? The start, stop, start, stop, thrashing motion. And now you've just taken your transformation and you've doubled it or quadrupled it in time. So don't blink would be my guidance. <laughs> Oh, no, no. <laughs> In fact, we're too wide awake all the time. <laughs> That's good. Well, I want to click into managed services specifically because Cisco won a Star Award from TSIA for innovation in managed services. And this is something that we do once a year. We recognize really outstanding use cases out there between our researchers and peers evaluate that. And so it's a pretty big deal. And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the most innovative aspects of Cisco's approach to managed services? I think it's our holistic approach and the operating model that we've built around it. So first of all, thank you very much for the award. It meant so much to the team. And it, it really is reflective of this new approach we have to manage services in what we call the high velocity offers. So how do we, working with an SP or an MSP, take to market a predefined offer because we have a library of 18 offers right. that we've predefined with a bunch of assets with an MSPSP. So take it Meraki, for example, managed Meraki is one of our top offers. What was unique is, first of all, that we've built an offer development team that codifies these offers in a library. So when you're a partner and you come to us, you're not having to sift through especially for Cisco, because our portfolio is so expansive, you know, different PRDs and product descriptions and everything. We've actually have this already predefined. The second thing is not only is it predefined from a reference architecture point of view, it comes with a bevy of assets, like even service descriptors, go-to-market kits, first meeting decks, marketing collateral, so if you decide to build a managed Wi-Fi offer with us, it comes with all of those yep. things ready for you so that you assets and things that you can already take and deploy in your organization. The other thing is the investment in resources that we've put around this. So it used to be that when you came to Cisco, you would meet a couple of specialists, you'd meet your PAM your, and your SE as a partner, Right. We've actually taken those roles and we've aligned people to capabilities versus functions. So you have folks that do service creation. So they might come from the specialist team. If it's a specialized service creation, you might have a, a Meraki PSS. So we have service creation, sales acceleration, and sales execution. And these are folks that only do those tasks along the way. So as you experience being a partner with us, some of these resources will come and go. And of course, you'll always have that, your PAM or your SC there as the relationship manager, but there's all the investment in these additional roles. And is that we, your partner you know, area so manager or just what's the acronym? PAM is a partner yeah. account manager, right? So the traditional, the traditional roles are the partner account manager and the partner systems engineer or SC, or sometimes it's a technical solutions architect. So those are your sort of constant of your relationship, depending on, you know, where you are on our scale, you might have dedicated or not. But we've taken those roles and instead of thinking of them functionally from a relationship point of view, we've thought about it from a capability point of view. So you walk that journey with us. And what that has done is in some cases, it's actually decreased the time to market by 75%. 
because navigating a big, you know, a big machine like Cisco can be hard, like getting the right specialist or getting somebody to help you answer the questions around service creation and so and, you know, we even have uh, aspirations of going all the way to partner success so that once you launch the offer, you'd actually have a partner success manager that would be there to help you. And there are other roles, like one that we've deployed in certain places is the resident architect. Think about it. You go and you invest in, a, in building an offer on Cisco to put on your catalog. That's not a one-time event. We need to keep feeding that offer. We need to be calibrating. We need to be enhancing it from a technical perspective and from a commercial perspective too. So having that resident engineer that can help be the bridge directly into the business unit or be the bridge when you're doing a deal and you need to relook at the architecture because it's a different deal than once the reference architecture in the catalog. So we've really thought about all these different scenarios across the partner experience that a partner will have with Cisco And what is the support you need when a partner is not fulfilling, but really delivering an outcome? And and I want to go all the way back to what you opened up with in terms of what I'll call sort of the solution or service definition. And I think the contrast here, if you think about a, a traditional partner motion where you'd have a partner that was probably technically trained on your products, they're reselling them. They're like, okay, I'm selling product A, B, and C. Like a lot of products I can sell. I'm going to go install that with the customer. So the enablement looked a certain way. And what you articulated for these managed offers, it's a tight library. You've got a library of well-defined. And the enablement is not just, here's the Lego building blocks of the products involved, but we are going to define the service motions that need to be around that. We're going to talk about what the value proposition. So you're building out a much more complete thought for the partner there. And I think that that yes. is, uh, again, I think a lot of the, the OEMs have sort of struggled realizing that they have to lean into that responsibility. For the partners, because historically, like, hey, my partners, they know their solutions, they know their business or whatever, they can figure that out. Here's my great products. I just want to make sure they're technically competent on my products. You got to go way beyond that and really help the partner understand the value proposition and how they're going to make money right in that value proposition. That's a different bar for sure. Yes. Thank you for highlighting that. That is that is very unique. That's our approach to how do we make sure that the partner investment actually delivers profitability, but also that they are building the services attached to the capabilities, what they are going to be experts in. And that's then tied all the way back to our partner program, certification, and how the partner can differentiate. One of the things that, you know, we're still working through, and we're getting a lot of feedback from our customers on this, is that in a resale motion, it was all about scale and everybody being able to sell everything right? Because you would launch something, you'd have the the channel out there, and it was like, everybody go sell. In this new world, the investments a partner have to make are so high. Like if service onboarding, service operations, service changes, you know, like investing in AI and customer success, all of this is such a heavy investment that partners are having to be much more strategic about where they play in what we call the outcome chain, all the types of services that can be associated with an offer, all the way from the initial like consulting service to actually service delivery and operation. We call that the outcome chain. So what we've had to do is we've realized we have to help partners through that process so that 
they're making the right investments and they're specializing. The other thing that we've noticed is there's this huge trend in the industry, and you guys have been leading it for a while, where you said the monetization is in the services. It's no longer in just reselling the product. And so traditional VARs are having to reinvent themselves as MSPs. They have to have a specialized services stack. And so we've had to build this capability to help our VAR partner archetypes through that transition so that they're there with Cisco. And last but not least, another controversial thing that I'm going to say, sometimes the differentiation is not just in the product, it's in the partner experience with the vendor. And so we're really trying to build that operating model that differentiates us from the competition in terms of how the partner partners are going to make choices on less vendors. Everybody's doing yes. vendor consolidation. So when they do that choice, who are we going to do business with? It's not just about the technology. It's also about the operating model yep. that is there to help them. Yeah, and I mean, I, I want to say a big amen to that because in spending time with some of the large resellers out there and MSPs, again, they've had some frustration as, as the industry has been going through this as a service. They're turning to someone like a Cisco and they're saying, we really do have to figure this out together. And they're looking for what you're talking about putting on the table is what is this experience for me? And I just want to, again, hit on these things that you guys are doing, which I think are all winning moves, right? Again, we're defining what complete solution looks like, not just here's the product and technical enablement. We are thinking through the complete economic model for the partner, how you're going to make money in services. We are providing a different ongoing enablement model because we realize this customer is going to be in this recurring relationship with. So the old model where we had a partner account manager and a technical person land the deal, they can move on. That's not going to work anymore. we got to have enablement throughout the life cycle. And all of that is just much deeper collaboration around the business of the offer than you ever saw before. But I think that that is really what's going to be required. So everybody makes money. Everybody wants to make money in these three or five or multi-year managed deals. And you're not going to do that just sort of slinging some stuff over the wall (laughs) to the partner and say, just go sell that as a managed offer. It'll work work out great. It's not going to fly. So I think that that's fantastic. And I am curious your perspective because you're in the heart of this managed world. You're talking about these 18 offers. We've been looking at managed services for years and the resellers have, like you said, they've had to start to move their business models to have more MS offers. Then we've seen Cisco's of the world step into that space. You have some direct offers, you have stuff through your partners, but you you see that. We now even see pure SaaS companies standing up managed offers around you know their SaaS platforms. So when you're talking to customers, what's driving the continued growth of managed services? Why does the marketplaces seem to continue to lean into that type of consumption model? Well, some of it is what you're alluding to, which is the fast pace of technology change, right? It's changing so fast that keeping up with people and, and talent yeah, that have those hard. skills is really, really hard. And so customers are just turning to managed service providers to get those skills. I even know of a case of a partner, a very big Cisco partner going to another Cisco partner because they know they have more CCIEs and they can actually leverage that capability. So we're seeing these partner to partner deals, which is, is really interesting. So talent is definitely one. The fast pace of technology is another one. The other one is in the name is services. What's happening is actually the value 
when we say outcomes and experiences, what you're delivering is not a piece of technology as an end-to-end service. So managed service providers are much better at putting those models together to deliver for the customer that delivers a service. And then that brings to our last one, which is this is not a core competency of customers. You know, I know that everybody loves the adage of every company is a technology company, but these things are really complex, right? So to abstract some of the complexity and some companies are just saying, make it simple for me. I can't find the talent. I can't justify the business case to set up a whole security operation yep. center or a network operation center. So, you know, dear partner, come and help me simplify yeah. this. I put two things on the table that reacting. So first of all, you know, in the last book, Digital Hesitation, we had this phrase, complexity kills. And what you're articulating there is customers like, I just, I don't want to deal with this complexity. I want this operational complexity out of my world. Can you help me with that? And a managed offer, you know, helps with that. And the second thing I'd put on the table is in the tech industry, we have been slinging this word outcomes around for a while now, business outcomes. Everybody wants to deliver outcomes. I would assert it's pretty hard to get across the goal line of a business outcome in a non-managed posture. It's pretty hard to say, I sold those guys a bunch of routers. Boy, they're going to get a bunch of business outcomes. That's kind of hard. <laughs> but if you come in right, with one of these 18 solutions and you've thought about it and here's the business value and we're going to deliver this, deliver this in a managed posture, you are much closer to actually delivering on that promise. So I think that both of those things, the complexity issue and the outcome issue, those are big drivers in why managed services continues to, to grow from, from my perspective. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because the word outcome, I mean, we have a saying internally that the best way to deliver an outcome is through a managed service right now. And the reason is like, if you think about what traditionally a managed service was, is, you know, a customer comes to a partner and says, please manage this infrastructure application, whatever it is on my behalf and give me an SLA. And an SLA is like the first type of outcome KPI that has ever existed in the industry. And I think you guys also talk a lot about this. What is the metric that you use to really define an outcome? And we've come to the conclusion that we're going to be looking at three types of metric. There's the traditional performance metric, which might be an SLA. But then there are these other two things that are creeping up, which is the experience metric. So how do you say that this outcome has really delivered that delightful experience, that simplicity that you're looking for? And we see, you know, NPS or CSAT scores creeping in in some of these managed service big deals. And then the last one is the business value. Has the customer really realized business value from this? Is it customer acquisition costs? Is it the cost of compliance has gone down? Is it the support cost? There's a lot of things that what is that problem statement that you've solved? And then what is the KPI that really shows that business impact? So yeah, I, I know we talk about outcomes, but we've tried to think about them and and figure out how we help our partners. And you're putting, you know, I think a sophisticated view on the table, which is absolutely correct. Again, I think the industry has thrown around this term outcome, but when you click into it, you say, well, what do you mean by that? A lot of times they'll simply say, well, we're going to guarantee dot, 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 you know, uptime and availability. Okay, well, that that's one type of outcome, but it's more nuanced than that. And like you're saying, we got to move up from that basic, the stuff is up and running. And like you said, is it the customer experience? Can we now connect to you know specific business value, whether that's cost savings, whether that's revenue, whether that's employee productivity KPIs? And and I think, again, as technology providers, 
we just have to get really, really good at that is it being more nuanced there and, and, and sophisticated. Yeah. So it's a, it's a journey, you know, I I'm watching the clock. There's definitely two more questions. I, I got to get on the table to you. <laughs> so it's a good conversation. One is around AI. And this is a topic which you are really passionate about only because at TSI, because we are concerned at how disruptive this can be to tech business models, right? We're already seeing some really very big use cases. And so I'm curious, what are some of the AI capabilities you've already unfolded within Cisco or that you plan to you know, roll out this year? Like, Where do you see some of the potential? Yeah, I think for us, we're still at very much the beginning of how AI gets monetized in B2B business models. But from a technology perspective, we've been using AI forever. Like it's embedded in in all our products and in our technology from AI enhanced security to if you look at our WebEx suite, there's already so many delightful AI assisted experiences that you can have. And then of course, when you look at our full stack observability offer, we're already taking telemetry from different data lakes, applying algorithms to come to conclusions around data and what we're seeing and what things can happen, what, what things can go wrong, right? We're already, I mean, it's AI-enabled operations, AI-enabled observability. It's all already part of our technology. We're currently using a framework which we, especially in our security BU, we go back to, which is all about how we will use AI to mm -hmm. assist our customers, augment our security solutions, and automate to simplify our customer yep. experiences. So I like to think of it in terms of this framework of assist, augment, and automate. That is definitely a very common theme out there in terms of the potential that people are seeing. I think in the world of managed services, you know, George Humphrey and our team who does does a lot of research there is on the square of AI has so much potential for ops within managed services, like you're saying, using data to be predictive, using data to stay, stay ahead of problems. It's going to be a critical capability from the cost side of it for sure, right? And providing a better, more compelling value proposition. So it's big. And I'm curious, as you watch Cisco roll some of these capabilities out. Are you seeing any type of sort of success criteria there for what AI capabilities are having the biggest impact on, I'll say, internal workflows, right? Just when you see Cisco experimenting, saying, hey, let's try here, let's try there. Is there any patterns you see there that are making those initiatives more successful? I don't know if I see patterns yet because it's mm -hmm. it's still very new. I mean, I think that the use cases that we see more is how is it helping us be better at developing and okay, deploying yeah, yeah. content. I see that yeah. in marketing. You know, I think that's a use case, internal use case that I see a lot. But when it comes to AI-enabled operations, the things that we're looking at is mostly service onboarding and yep. service operations. So how can we use what AI tool or what is it that we're going to do to the telemetry that we get and what operational system or tool can we use connected to that telemetry that helps us with better service onboarding or yeah. service operations. Those are the things that we're really thinking about. And then the other thing that we're really thinking about is what is the platform that enables these experiences? So that's also really important because when you look at our architecture, we have different types of architectures, you know, from collaboration to security to networking. So what is that platform that will connect all of these experiences together? So that's something also that we're really thinking. I'll of. give you an interesting data point that we have in our research here. So when you think about AI capabilities, what feeds 
AI is telemetry, as you know, data, right? And the more data you have, you can put into models. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the technology providers out there, you can have a, the spectrum of companies that are completely connected with their customers. Let's say they're on a SaaS platform. I know everything they're doing. I've got tons of telemetry. And the opposite end of the spectrum would be people that are completely disconnected, right? You sold on-prem. You have no idea what they're doing. And you would think intuitively, right? You know, it's big candy. You think intuitively, somebody like a Cisco would be like, well, man, they might be disadvantaged here. They got all this on-prem stuff. It's disconnected. They don't have good data. But what we're seeing already in our research is it's companies like yourselves that have been investing in better telemetry, getting your products connected, feeding them into AI models, which is what you said, because you've understood for quite a while the massive potential operational benefits there. <laughs> and so in some ways, again, it's not intuitive, but the Cisco's of the world are actually pretty aggressive on this topic. And there are other companies, SaaS companies we know well, that have everybody on a customer platform and the data is piling up in the corner because they're like, I guess they should maybe be doing something with that. <laughs> so <laughs> just, I think it's sort of ironical right now in terms of you know where we are. Yeah, the way I look at it, there's telemetry tools and outcomes, right? The outcomes are all about this uh, augment, yep. assist, and automate. But then in order for you to be ready to take on AI, you have to look at your That's telemetry right. and your tools, right? We actually put out an AI readiness index where it actually said only 17% of companies yep. think they're ready even to address the yeah, infrastructure that. that underpins the telemetry and the tools that they have. So we're really at the maybe the peak of the hype cycle of AI. It's great that you acknowledge that we've really been thinking about our data lakes. Where does the telemetry come from? We've been working a lot with our partners yeah. on that too, because this is not a journey yeah. that we take alone. This is a journey that we take with our partners because the data sets that they have with the data sets that we have is where yeah. all the goodness is. And then, of course, last but not least, we're very careful about governance and data, right? Making sure that we can trust the data that we're looking at, right? We've seen with the consumerization of AI, the yep. model hallucinations sure. that you can oh, have, yeah. <laughs> that's why it's so important for companies as they think about their AI strategy to really look at the infrastructure that underpins that strategy. Don't think you can just jump and go and do something yeah. without actually making sure that you're ready for that. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the hype cycle is really intense right now, but underneath the hype cycle, there is a lot of there there that's emerging very quickly. I lived through the internet becoming a thing and I was living in Silicon Valley when I got on my first webpage and you know, it took years for the internet to truly disrupt our business models, right? It was a slow roll, a lot of hype at the beginning, mm -hmm. but ultimately it did have a big impact. AI, I think there's, you know, even more hype, obviously, but underneath, I think it's going to move faster. And I think the company, I'm a little concerned, you know, I've talked to companies and they'll be like, well, you know, Thomas, our infrastructure's not there, data's not there. And it's almost becoming sort of like this excuse of why they can't get on this train. And I think that that is a mistake. If you have an infrastructure issue, if you have a data issue, you got to lean into that. Because if you don't, your business model is going to look so dated in about three to five years, you're not going to know what hit you. I think you got to lean into it. You definitely have to lean in. And as you guys say, it is a little bit of a tale yeah. of two yeah. cities right now. I think some people might have, for example, those that embrace cloud are now really happy 
those that embraced crypto are not very happy. Yeah. So that's okay. why some of some of those folks are sort of like, is this crypto? Is this black or is this crypto? <laughs> uh, or blockchain, right? There's that tale of two cities. But I agree with you. I mean, we've already seen WebEx AI Assistant, how it's improved our meeting experiences, the fact that we can immediately have a meeting translated yeah. real time That's in amazing. any That's language, amazing. that we yeah. can have a summary, that we can have a be, we, I call it the be right back feature. Actually, I was looking at our new features. And if you leave a meeting with WebEx right now and you come back to it, it actually summarizes yeah, nice. what yeah. you missed. Yeah. You know that. I mean, that's just augmenting what we yeah. can do as human beings, right? I don't have to go back and relook at the meeting again because I missed an yeah. important yeah. portion of it. The productivity enhancements are real. So these things are happening yeah. real time. So I agree with you. The disruption is there. I think the thing that we still need to better understand mm -hmm. is the monetization model. How is AI going to really disrupt monetization models? That's yep. the part that I'm still yeah, trying to Yeah, we got to think right now on how people are operationally operationalizing AI. And one of the questions we were asking is, are you monetizing any AI capabilities with customers? So we'll see what that data looks like in terms of percentage-wise. But it's definitely, I know from some of the use cases I've, I've talked to with, with member companies, that is one of the things that they're, I've got capabilities. What, what do I charge for? What is really just benefiting me in terms of you know operational efficiency? So there's a lot that's going to yet to unfold there. The one thing I want to click in on AI, which just stay on that thread, is you know the impact on the workforce because you mentioned you know, AI is going to augment, it's going to automate. I am already of the conclusion that AI is going to do two things, and, and it's not going to take a decade. It's going to do two things for us in tech. Number one, it is going to change the profile of our headcount engines. Just you know how much resource we have, whether it's in services or sales or whatever. There's going to be an impact there. And secondly, so some jobs we aren't going to need anymore. All the jobs that are left, every job left, is it's going to change. Your workflow is going to change. My workflow is changing. I bet your workflow is changing with these new tools. And so how is Cisco approaching sort of that challenge of retooling, retraining employees to effectively leverage these new AI capabilities as they come out? I completely agree with you. And I think what we've done, which is what we've done as we faced every single technology transition, is heavily invest in enablement and make sure that everybody is also using internally the capabilities yeah. that we're developing, right? So the example that I gave you on the new WebEx AI assistant, right? so driving also internal right. adoption of these tools is really important. And then the second one is the education. I think we invest heavily on educating folks and hiring different profiles. We heavily invest in early in career. For example, one of the new roles that have come out is yep. the prompt yeah, engineer. Right. Yep. <laughs> the prompt engineer is not how you actually open this podcast. It's not just about the tech talent, right? Prompt engineers, you might need that's prompt right. engineers in marketing. Yeah. So I think that's the other way that we're looking at it is we're, we're really, as we hire and invest heavily in early in career programs, we're also making sure that we're hiring new talent that can yeah. do some of these new roles. It's going to be really quite the journey. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be exciting times in tech. I keep telling this to people. I'm not a gloom and doom guy. I'm an optimist. And I, I think that at the other end of this, our business models are going to be adding more value. I think that for employees, they're going to be creating more value, but there is going to be pain right in the transformation. I just don't want people out there listening to underestimate and think that this is going to be a slow roll. 
I just don't think it is. I think it's going to move fast. It's not a slow roll, but like you said, it will be a tale of two cities for the company. It will be a tale of two cities for the people that embrace it or don't embrace it. I like to think of AI as an opportunity for myself to learn and reskill, but also how can I become more productive? That's the question I ask myself every day. Like what new tool is out there that can actually help me be better at what I have to do every day? And so I think if you approach AI with a growth mindset as an individual, probably as a company too, those are the ones that are really going to be able to embrace and and ride this next wave. You more than again, that's why I'm excited and bullish because I think for all of us, there's going to be so many opportunities where AI is an enabler. It is going to make us more productive. There's going to be a lot of goodness there. Well, I, I took up enough of your time, Alex. Thanks so much for stopping by. And providing the insights here, I always like to close with a question of the day. And so for our audience here, the handshake between technology providers and their partners continues to evolve with the advent of both as a service and AI. Are you confident in your new handshake? Cheers, everybody.